2K, you know, <laughs> and some of that. And man, that's been two decades ago. That's just crazy, crazy, crazy. But you know, the Word of God is the same. It never changes. And our God is a God who never changes, and He's faithful. And whatever stage of life you're in, His promises never change. He doesn't fail. He doesn't change His mind or His agenda. He knows exactly what you need now. He knows where you've been. He knows where you are. He knows where you're going. And He knows what you're going to need in the years and decades to come. And uh, above all of that, He's got this date set on His calendar that you and I don't know. And it's that date when Jesus is going to get up off of the throne and he's going to come and uh, call us home in the rapture. And uh, I think about 1 Thessalonians 4 and anticipate hearing that trumpet and hearing that shout and being brought up to be with the Lord and thus shall we always be with the Lord. Do you ever... Uh, Think about how it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, we'll be caught up together with him in the clouds. So uh, a lot of times when there's a cloudy day, I think, this could be the day. And do you ever see those holes in the clouds where sun kind of comes through and I go, that might be a rapture hole. That might be where we're headed out, you know. And uh, it's kind of exciting to think about. And the Bible says in John 14, he said that if I go... I will prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. Isn't that great? And you think about uh, this, this could be the year. Maybe he's going to come in 2019. There's still plenty of time. Could be any time. And if not 2019, it might be 2020. So uh, what, a great, what a great thing to think about. And in the meantime, we're going to turn to the 40th Psalm. Okay, Psalm 40. And we're going to uh, look at something that David uh, wrote. And as I read this, I thought, Good night, David. How many pits are you going to fall into? The Lord heard my cry. And my... How many times? And then I thought, probably more than we would like to admit. And we've probably been in more than we would like to admit. Because it's encouraging to think that even a guy like David, a king... A man after God's own heart in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. He had multiple times when he seems like he's crying out to the Lord. Sometimes I get discouraged. I think I ought to be doing better than I am spiritually. I ought to be over this. That shouldn't bother me. That shouldn't trip me up. Am I the only one that kind of feels like that? Get a little frustrated with yourself and with life and with your walk with God. And then it dawned on me that maybe... So many of these psalms that David writes kind of have a little bit of that theme because the Lord wants us to understand He's patient. He's sanctifying us, but He's also very, very patient with us. And that even people like David would stumble and fall and have to be delivered. And no wonder the Lord Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Remember that? And He said, lead us not into temptation... In other words, Lord, lead me around the traps of the enemy. And then he said, and deliver us from evil. That's what the King James says. In the Greek, it has an article in front of it. Deliver us from the evil one. You know, sometimes you fall into a pit that you just can't get out of. And you need to be delivered. 
That doesn't just happen once in your life or once a decade. Happens maybe even sometimes every day. There are traps and pitfalls. And David is going to talk about this because it seems like when I fall into a pit, whatever that may be, whatever that may be, I'm not very effective in my praying. I'm not very effective in my ministry. I'm not very effective in my personal walk or any of those kind of things, in warfare or anything. It's hard to fight a battle when you're down in the pit. It's hard to reach out and serve someone or minister to someone when you're down in the pit. Maybe if they're down in there with you, but that's the pits, right? And um, tough. And I was thinking about in Psalm 40, where do I want to go with this? I don't want to talk about down and depressing and defeating things. You know, I started to entitle the message, Here We Go Again. But I didn't want to do that. And I began to look at it and notice some things that David had in here in this psalm. And I want to talk about being effective, high-impact believers. Because David was that kind of a person. Yes, he had sin. Yes, he had struggles. And I got to thinking about his life. Okay? When we think about David's life, how cool is it that he's a little kid watching sheep? That job that nobody wanted. That job that they gave to the nobodies. Okay? It wasn't a romantic, wonderful pastoral scene. It was... Can't do anything else. Go watch the sheep, kid. Okay. And while he's out there, what does he do? He writes poetry. Sets it to music. And things that God chose to put in his inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient, and don't miss this, eternal word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will not pass away. And David had songs that he wrote while he was watching the sheep, that God said, put that, Gabriel, put that in the hymnal. And it's an eternal hymnal. That's a, that was, that's a pretty high point, isn't it? Then you think about David. He's out there watching the sheep, and a prophet shows up at his house. And uh, I don't know if David knew the prophet was there or not, but I'm going to guess that if he did notice it, David's out there watching the sheep saying, probably doesn't have anything to do with me and that's what Jesse thought in fact that's kind of what Samuel thought and David's brothers go by and Samuel's thinking ah this one and the Lord says nope 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 finally Samuel says you got anybody else and David was an afterthought now let that sink in David was an afterthought and Jesse goes, well, yeah, I've got another one, but he's just a shepherd. Bring him in. And God says, that's the one. That's the one. And he's anointed as king. That's, that's high water. That's walking in tall cotton. You think about David when he goes to check on his brothers. And there's a giant there. And the giant says, send out your best man. And, you know, if he defeats me, we'll be your servants if... You know, I win, then we'll be your servants. And nobody in the army wanted to go out there. And David goes out there, and he goes out there with a slingshot of all things. It's an insult to Goliath. Remember Goliath going, what am I, a dog? You send this punk out here? And uh, David says, you come against me with a spear and a sword. I come against you in the name of the Lord. In other words, I win. Yeah, I win. I mean, that's like... 
hand grenades and atom bombs, you know, in comparison. He, he had the name of the Lord with him. And guess what? Goliath falls. David cuts Goliath's head off with his own sword. And uh, then all of a sudden the army gets brave, don't they? And David is amazing. He gets to marry the king's daughter. And uh, he's at the palace. And then he's a, considered a warrior. And he goes to the battle. And, you know, and, and they're, uh, you know, he, he makes American top 40. Um, you know, David, Saul has slain his thousands. But David is tens of thousands. I mean, this is, this is high uh, stuff, heady kind of stuff, right? And uh, you think about David being able to unite all 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, for a while he had 10 of them, right? And he's ruling in Hebron. And then he's able to get all of them together, all 12 tribes. You know, when you read your Old Testament, getting all of the tribes of Israel to agree on anything is worse than a Baptist business meeting, right? And yet David pulled it off, moves the capital to Jerusalem, Zion, the holy city. I mean, this is something. And God makes a covenant with David. Your descendants are going to be the ancestors of the Messiah. I mean, David had a lot of stuff. And we look at that and say, well, you know, if I were like that, I'd serve God too. I would sing too. I'd be a better person too. But then I want you to think about, because we sang about it earlier, mountains high and valleys low. You ever had a low point? You ever felt like you fell into a pit with miry clay? Well, let's think about it. David, the big shot, the hero of Israel, Everybody's singing about him. And then a spear goes flying by his head that could have killed him and should have. Except it wasn't God's time. David has to run for his life. How would you feel as the anointed king of Israel, the guy who had put this poetry together into music that the Lord is going to include in the Bible, and how does God repay him? He has to live in caves for a decade running for his life, fearing spies. He might be betrayed by one of his own men or somebody in town that happened to see him or somebody that was taking a, a, a flock of sheep by and they noticed David. All it takes is turning him in and David's toast. Pretty low. A decade is a long, long, long time to be living like that. And there are several things that you remember happened to him while he was running from Saul. And opportunities he had to go ahead and take care of Saul. But he didn't. He waited on God. You think about David after he becomes king. Some of the things that he went through. And yeah, Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. David brought that on himself. He should have been off fighting battle. It was the time of the year when kings go to war. And David said, oh, I'll leave that to somebody else. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. And he wasn't fighting the battle he was supposed to fight. And what happens? He uh, messes up with Bathsheba and then murders Uriah. And brought that on himself. True. But you've got to also consider how many of the pits have you fallen into that you brought on yourself and that's a miserable thing we want mercy we want grace we want support and prayers from other people so let's be fair to David as well yeah he brought it on himself but that's pretty normal we, we do that and we do that a lot more than we'd like to think you think about David having his own son his own son 
rising up against him. And David has to run for his life. Not from Philistines this time. And not from somebody like Saul. But from his own flesh and blood. And you think about then his... Uh, uh, well, even before that, remember he had a son that raped his daughter. And uh, then Absalom kills that son. And then now Absalom's trying to kill David. I mean, a lot of grief. A lot of rejection, a lot of turmoil, a lot of that kind of stuff that goes on. And so when we talk about David, we're talking about some really, 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 really high mountaintop experiences. But we're also talking about some really, really, really deep pits. How many of those would you have to go through before you needed psychotherapy? I mean, you think about David and all of the things he went through. You think about all of the things he had to suffer through. I think any one of those things would be enough to put me out of business. And yet you find David, he recovers, he comes through, he presses on, he gets right with God, he doesn't quit all the way to the end. And he got to do something that very few kings get to do, especially back in those days. You see, back in those days, if you were the king, you had a target on your back because if anybody wants to take your place, you have to die. So there are a lot of people that want to assassinate the king. That's why they had Nehemiahs to taste their food, make sure everything was going to be okay. That's why they had security around them. People always wanted to kill them. Ask Julius Caesar how that goes, right? It's just the way it was. That was your life if you were the king. People were always after you. And when you read the Bible, one of the things that you do find out is David got to die as an old man, and he was still the king. In fact, when one of his sons, even on David's deathbed, Adonijah tries to declare himself to be king, and he even had some priests and uh, some of David's men with him, and that wasn't what was supposed to happen. And remember when David finds out about it, even though he's weak, very old, on his deathbed, he says, Solomon shall be king, and that's all it took. And that other son is running for his life. Uh, David died with authority. David died as king, and he died at an old age. That was rare for kings. And so you look at David's life, and you realize the ups and downs of life are normal. They're normal. Even when we bring them on ourselves. God already knows. He's already factored that into his sovereign plan. And uh, he is not going to be thwarted or thrown off of his agenda because of you or me. But he is a God who doesn't just walk by and say good enough for you. He's a rescuing and loving God. And so I want you to read this psalm with me with that in mind. David, we don't know what the pit is here. We don't know. But notice how he talks about it. And he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Okay, there's a challenge. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a, not just a pit, a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song, a new song. David's used to singing, but now he's got a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear, 
and will trust in the Lord. It goes on to uh, tell us here that, uh, verse 4, Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. A lot of lies out there trying to get your attention. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. And your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Well, that's a faithful, loving God, isn't it? Moving on down to verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. In other words, I can't shut up about it. O oh Lord, you yourself know. Verse 10, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great Assembly. David's vocal, very vocal about all of this. Verse 11. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. Do you hear that? This is a man after God's own heart. Innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities my iniquities his sin have overtaken me so that I am not able to look up they've got him weighed down burdened down they are more than the hairs of my head how would you ever confess that much sin apparently some of us have a lot less sin than others See, this is holy. This is holy. Verse 13. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame, who say to me, Aha! Aha! The translation of that is, Oh, now we've got him. Verse 16. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord 
thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Can you say amen to that? I felt a lot of the same way that David has. Maybe for different reasons. Maybe not for different reasons. Maybe we're more alike than we uh, would like to think. But um, when I talk, think about the impact that David had, in spite of the failures, in spite of the low points, in spite of all of that, I, I think about this psalm, and it kind of gives me a little bit of hope. Okay? The first thing I want you to think about is effective Christians never forget where they came from. In fact, a Christian that kind of forgets their depravity, they forget their lostness, they forget how they were enslaved to sin. Now, your sin may have been nicer, cleaner, more acceptable, not quite as scandalous. It may not have had the impact societally. I mean, you may not have been in jail. You may not have been in prison. You may not have been arrested. You may not have been scandalized or anything. And yet your sin was still there. You were just as depraved. And I think sometimes we think depravity works in degrees. Like there's a degree of deadness. I mean, you're either alive or you're dead. Right? And uh, now, some people that are dead, they're, you know, they may be skeletonized or whatever you call that. And some people may have just passed away and you can't even tell they're dead until you get up close. I was at a hospital visit at St. Anthony and I walked in to visit a guy, and uh, they had the door open. The guy's laying in the bed, and when I started walking up to him, I go, this guy doesn't look right. And as I got up close to him, I realized he had passed away. And, uh, you know, they're supposed to have the doors closed and, you know, cover them up or take them somewhere or, you know, that kind of thing. And I went out, and I had to inform them that I said, this, this guy has passed away. And they're like, What? You know, I was like, seriously, you weren't watching and didn't know? And that's a kind of a creepy thing, but he apparently had just, just passed away. Now, if you did that, he didn't look really rotten. There wasn't any corruption that I could see or anything like that. However, if uh, he had been in a place where we had found him and he had died a month ago, heard just recently about on the news that uh, there was somebody they'd been looking for uh, for about a month, and they found them, and they, and they had uh, uh, died in their car. Can you imagine how that would be? But the bottom line is, dead is dead. Yeah, just the amount of corruption is different. And sometimes when we look at other people, we go, well, I've never been a street person, and I've never been a murderer, I've never been a drug addict, I've never been a burglar, I've never been a rapist, I've never... I mean, we could go on and on and on and on. Okay, well, all you're saying is you may not have been as corrupt, but you were every bit as dead. And the picture that David uses is a picture of being down in a pit, and he calls it, notice, a horrible pit. This is a pit nobody wants to be in. I, I suppose maybe there could be some pits that wouldn't be quite so bad. But this was the worst of all of the pits. In fact, it was a pit with the miry clay. Not just clay, the miry clay. It stunk. It was slippery. It was nasty. And the more you tried to get out, the more it seemed like the futility of the whole thing. Somebody's got to rescue you out of that pit. And David is recounting this, and he is telling us that he is in this 
horrible pit. And I'm wondering, well, well, which pit is this? And this psalm doesn't identify what it was. It might have been when he was running from Absalom. It might have been when he was running from Saul. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't tell us. It might have been just a personal pit. It might have been a trap that he fell into. I mean, there are all kinds of things that you and I could think of. When Jesus told us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, I'm thinking about traps. Sometimes you don't think you're going to fall into a pit. It's not like anybody goes over and says, hey, look, a pit, and they jump into it. Usually you're tricked into that, or maybe you're shoved into it. Or maybe you didn't see it. Maybe you were running and it was night and you didn't know the pit was there. Or any number of things could happen. But David is in a situation that he cannot get out of unless the Lord rescues him. And he's looking back and thinking about how the Lord has rescued him. And I want to tell you, Christians that forget where they came from... Christians that think, well, I may have been lost and I have been, you know, I was a sinner and all of that, but I wasn't as bad as other people. And we do that comparison game. There's something that happens to you. You start to stink. You start to kind of smell worldly and dirty and not, not really clean. You start smelling like miry clay. You start smelling like you need a shower, you need to change your clothes. It's just not a pretty thing because pride always stinks. And pride always tends to elevate itself. Like maybe you did something to get out of that pit. You did something to bring your uh, uh, spirit to life. You did something to get God to accept you and to save you. Well, you all know the answer to that. You didn't. That was the mercy and the grace of God that did that. And so if you... Forget where you came from and where God found you, Ephesians chapter 2, Romans chapter 3, then you tend to look down on other people, whether they're in Congress and they're in the different party, whether they are somebody uh, somebody that's driving weird, whether it's somebody you see that has done you wrong and betrayed you. I mean, we forget that's the world we came out of. And that'll cool down your evangelism. That'll cool down your compassion. That'll up your criticism meter. You know, you'll feel good about it. That will put you in a position of uh, mistreating, you know, other people. And all of this kind of stuff. Notice that in that first group of verses, that when David talks about where he came from, he also talks about other people seeing him and fearing the Lord and trusting Him. So I guess the question would be, have you forgotten where you've come from so that you have been cooled down so that nobody really sees Jesus? Oh, they see a judge in you, and they see a critic in you, and they see a skeptic in you, and they see a snob in you, but they don't really see the fear of God in you, and they don't see the love and the mercy of God in you, And so there's no trust in God that comes about. This is the way I think we are supposed to live because we remember. And when we look at lost people, we don't look and say, how in the world could anybody do anything like that? We look at it more like, thank you, Lord, that I didn't do that because I could be on death row as easy as anybody and so could you. I could be trapped in a life of sexual perversion, and so could you. 
I could be so addicted, I don't even know where I am, and so could you. I could be an embezzler. I could be a, a mugger. I could be, I mean, any of those things. The, the doctrine of depravity tells us that we have latent in us the ability to be the worst sinner of anybody that's ever walked on the face of the earth. And it's when we start looking at the, I just don't see how anybody could do anything like that. That will keep you from being the kind of person that makes people look at you and want to know your God. Okay? And so David constantly was reminded and remembering that he had been delivered from God, by God, from the pit. And God didn't have to do it. God was kind. Which brings us to the second point in this psalm. The next group of verses tell us that David was secure in the love of God. Right? How secure are you in the fact that God loves you? God would not have sent his son to die for you and to pay for your sins unless he loved you. God paid the maximum price for your sins simply because he loved a dead sinner like you. Chose to redeem you, to bring you the gospel, to bring you life, and to welcome you, to welcome you into his family. You know, when the Bible says there's joy in the presence of angels over a sinner that repents, that tells you God saved you with enthusiasm. God welcomed you into his family with enthusiasm. There was a party. There was joy. There was rejoicing over all of that. Not because you're such a hot shot. This is not like a major college getting a five-star recruit and going, Woo, man, now we've got it. No, you weren't even a one-star recruit. This is all about Jesus and the focus is on Him. A loving God who redeemed dead sinners like you and like me. And He did it, well, Paul put it this way, according to the good pleasure, good pleasure of His will. That means He didn't save you reluctantly. He didn't save you and go, okay, whatever, you're probably not going to amount to much. He threw a party when you repented and when you were saved. And the Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Let that sink in. This is a God who cares. This is a God who loves. This is a God who is for you. If God be for us, then who can be against us? I mean, this is amazing stuff when we think about it. We were the ones that were in the pit, and this is the God who loves us with an everlasting love. And uh, blessed is the man that makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud or as such, uh, turn, nor as such turn aside to lies. I mean, that could be you. You could be a Scientologist. You could be a Mormon. You could be a Hindu. You could be a Buddhist. I mean, think about it. When I go to India and I talk to people that are Hindus, it's like, well, I probably would be too if I were here except for the grace of God. And when I think about how easy it would be, I could believe in evolution, right? I could say that you know, anything you want to do sexually is fine. I could be there. 
I could be a pro-abortion person. I could be on those kind of things. Why? Because I could turn aside the lies. I mean, wouldn't be the first time I ever believed a lie. I was in kindergarten, and I had a friend, and he was like a second grader, an old guy. His name was R.J. And I walked over to R.J.'s house, and R.J. was watching and he saw me and he said hey Greg come over here he wasn't in his house I said why are you over here and he goes oh my dad bought this house okay so come on in we can play in here okay I believed him he was an older guy he knew and we walked into the house and he's showing me all the stuff picking up stuff talking about all the stuff and then a car pulls in the driveway and he goes run because he wasn't supposed to be in the house. <laughs> Five years old. <laughs> Sheriff shows up at our front door and talks to my mom about her little boy. You know why I did it? Because he told me. I believed him. I mean, I was a dumb little kid. I believed older kids. I didn't know any reason why he would want to lie. And you know what? I'm still somewhat gullible sometimes. There are certain lies that I'm capable of believing. There are some things that, nah, I'm not going there. That, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I'd like to think of myself as being wise and discerning and all of that. But you know what? Uh, even at this advanced age and stage of my life, there are some things every once in a while the enemy whispers into my ear and I believe it, I receive it. There are some things that people tell me that I believe and that I receive only to find out later on I was a fool, I've been lied to. See, this is what David is talking about. And does that mean that God looks and says, well, I knew it. <sighs> Goes away? No, I'm still like David. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Right? And does not respect the proud. I didn't go there on purpose. That's not the, not the deal. Or turn aside the lies. I want to be in pursuit of the truth. I want to correct all those things. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. You know, it's a sad thing when the preacher says, Somebody give a testimony of what God has done. Crickets. Crickets. We're the people of God, folks. And you know what? God has done more wonderful things. According to these verses, He's done more wonderful things today than you can count. You can't even name them all. So, benefit of the doubt, maybe that's why you don't say anything. Well, there's just been so many, I don't know where to start. I would hope that would be the case. This ought to be something that we think about that is amazing. God doing wonderful works for sinners like you and like me. And he does more things than we're even aware of. I think that's what David is saying. David is saying, we think we're just living and then we forget. How many things have to happen for you to get out of bed? How many things have to happen for you to get to work and home safely? How many things have to happen for your body not to have disease and all kinds of other problems? How many things like that have to happen? And we don't even think about it. Take a deep breath. Just... Isn't that good? 
That's a gift of God. Take your pulse. Is it still beating? Do I have a pulse? Yeah, mine's going. I had a heart monitor on last Wednesday night. Hadn't heard the results yet. I told Brother Steve, I used to say when I had some of these tests, well, no news is good news, and then they haul me in for an angiogram or something. So I'm taking this one and going, yeah, I'm probably going to have a quadruple bypass so that when it's not, I feel good about it, right? Just think positive. And uh, do you realize every beat of your heart, that's the creative work of God who gave you life and who sustains you. Realize all of the hormones in your body that if they get out of balance, some of them just kind of make you feel a little lousy. Some of them will kill you. We had a lady in Tuttle, Bertha, Maine, and I uh, got called and said, uh, she's about to go. Preacher, we need you. And so I ran to Chickasha and uh, went to the hospital room. And while I was there, somebody came in and said, you know, we just noticed she's really low on saline. They gave her some, and she went home the next day, and she lived like five more years. She was almost 100 when she died. I go, really? We're that fragile? Yeah, yeah. It's only by the grace of God you don't have some of those things happening to you. It's amazing. And so David says that this kind of thing is happening, and God is thinking and working and all of that. And he said, and I, I couldn't even, it's, it's more than could be numbered. And so that means we look only to the Lord and we're grateful for all he has done. Are you? And how long has it been since you've been overwhelmed by life? Overwhelmed by relationships? Overwhelmed by the experiences that you've had? Overwhelmed by the things you get to enjoy that many people in the world would only dream about and it's just normal for you. You ever been overwhelmed with the fact that how come you got to be an American? There's only like 300 million of us and there's 7 billion in the world. Why you? Why you? And have you ever been caught up with all of the negative things that are going on? And I'm just going to say this. There's a lot to be concerned about in America. A lot to be concerned about. And I don't know how long we're going to make it and how long we're going to survive. But I'm going to tell you this. It's still a pretty sweet life. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Oh, it's so corrupt and it's so horrible and there's so much sin. Then why does everybody else in the world want to come here? If it's as bad as what I read about on social media... I'd be thinking, if I were a Mexican, I wouldn't cross the river. And yet we find immigrants wanting to come here legally and illegally. Why? Because it's still, with all of our problems, it's a pretty sweet life. Yeah, think about that. Think about all of the things that we know and the things we get to enjoy theologically. You know, isn't it sweet when you can read the Bible and you can read it and say, well, I don't understand all of this, but i got a pretty good idea of what it means. I wonder how many people that are saved people don't really grasp it. Do you realize sometimes how blessed we are and how many good teachers we have in our church? We could always use more. 
But maybe we ought to be grateful for what we already have. Isn't it amazing how many people you can talk to in our church? We get together uh, on Saturday mornings and we talk about uh, as men. And we have men that are there talking about things that I've been in other churches that if men got together and talked about those doctrines, it'd split the church. And we sit there and talk about them, you know, we might even eat a donut while we're doing it and uh, have a great time. Why? That's just the blessing and the grace of God, folks. You think about all of the things that go on in life, things that you know, some of the wisdom God has given you. Has God given you any wisdom over your life? Have you gained any wisdom? Now, you may not be the wise person that you think you ought to be, but then again, Solomon was a wise person, and he messed up his life pretty good, didn't he? But you ought to be wiser than you were, and you learn sometimes through your mistakes. Think about that. God could have just said, not giving you anymore, just stumble along, make it the best way you can, and we'll talk about it when you get to heaven. But he didn't. He's teaching you. He's disciplining you. And uh, you say, well, what if I make a mistake? He already knew you were going to make the mistake. He's already planned for that. And he's not just simply saying, I've got a lightning bolt with your name on it, buddy. Just give me one good reason. One good reason. No, he's not doing that. He disciplines you out of L-O-V-E, love. It's a positive thing, okay? So you need to be secure in God's love. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Say, so, well, what if I go out of here and I fall into gross sin? You think God didn't already know that? You think Jesus didn't already pay for that? You think maybe he's going, well, oh, I guess it wasn't finished. That's your only alternative. That God in heaven is going, well, I didn't see this happen. And Jesus, go back to the cross. You're going to have to pay a little bit more. Either that or we just let him go on to hell. No, when he said it is finished, he meant it. And it was for everything in your life. And when I think about that, how secure you and I are in the love of God, an unchanging God doesn't change in his feelings toward you or about you at any stage of life. Look at the third thing. Effective Christians are established in grace. Now you'll notice here that David says, these sacrifices are not what you desired. Okay, my first thought was, then why'd you command them? If you don't want them, why'd you have your people do it? A lot of lambs died, and you apparently didn't really want that, right? A lot of goats, a lot of cattle died. They were burned on altars. And you know, what's, what's the point of that? I began to think about the fact that it wasn't that God said, I just love it for heifers to die. And I want a lot of sheep to be bleeding out on an altar and then be burned up. Oh, oh, that sounds like a great day. That wasn't it. All of those things were a picture of the sacrifice that was going to be made by his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he was saying is, David is not saying, no use in doing the sacrifices. No, that was commanded by God. But David, even in the Old Testament, understood it's not about the death of a sheep. It's not about the death of a goat. It's what that represents, the death of Messiah for our sins. You get it? 
And when I looked at these verses, and I looked at these words that are in here, and um, he said in verse 6, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. That's not what you really wanted. And then notice this, my ears you have opened. You know what David is saying? It's not that I listen to God and I'm so smart I got it. He said, by the grace of God, God opened my ears. He doesn't do that for everybody, folks. But you have had your ears opened and you've had more than the ritual that saved you. You were saved by the all-sufficient, eternal, and final sacrifice of the Son of God on the cross for your sins. And that is the grace of God. I think some people kind of think that uh, if you have a Lord's Supper service at Christmas or Easter, oh, we can't miss that. It's the Christmas one. It's the Easter one like that special. That doesn't give you any more points with God. That doesn't get you any step closer to God or anything like that. Why? Because the Lord's Supper is always do in remembrance of me it's not our little cup of juice and our little piece of bread it's the death of the Savior on the cross bearing the wrath of God for our sins that's the sacrifice God desired wow to save a dead sinner like you God desired the death of his own son to pay for all of your sins let that sink in Selah, let's just say that, right? That's an amazing thing because effective Christians are established in grace. They don't get caught up in the rituals. They don't get caught up in thinking that they're somehow smarter than everyone else. They realize their ears were opened. They understand that the requirement was not a burnt offering. If those could save, God never would have sent his son. The only reason God gets, uh, instituted the sacrifices is because that was supposed to be the red flag saying, you did not keep the law or you wouldn't need to burn this animal. And burning the animal doesn't save you. It looks forward to the day when the fire of God, his wrath, would fall upon his innocent son on behalf of you. Somebody say amen to that. That's where you stand. In the grace of God. And the grace of God changes you because he said, I come in the scroll of the book as it is written of me. And the scroll of the book is probably the scroll that he would receive when he was cor uh, the coronation, uh, coronated as the king. And he said, I delight to do your will. Well, that's a switch. You see, if it were not for the grace of God, you wouldn't give a rip about doing the will of God wouldn't matter to you. Everything would be about you. Everything would be for you. Everything would be to fluff you up and to make you somebody instead of doing the will of God. And grace changes you where you want to do his will. And uh, this is an amazing thing because it's written in our heart now. It's not just something that we do to show off or we do to gain points with God. It's something that actually comes from the heart. And David said, because of the grace of God, I testify you anytime and anywhere. I can't keep my mouth shut about it. Can you? David was seeing all of this as something to testify in front of the great assembly. He wasn't intimidated by all of that. He had a great message about a great God to share with people who needed to hear it. And he said, oh, Lord, you yourself know. 
I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. And I think it's interesting. We do everything we can to be silent. To not talk. To not share. To not praise. And we wonder why we're not effective. Praising God. There's power in that because your focus is on that. And number four, effective Christians, well, they pray. James said the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails what? Much. You have not because you ask not. And notice how bold David is to pray here. He prays about his enemies. Let them be confounded. You know? I can kind of identify with that. Lord, I'm sort of sick of us being the ones that are confused and wandering around. What do we do and bouncing around like a pinball in a pinball machine? My prayer is, Lord, you would make us so solid because you put us on that rock he talked about in verse 2, I think it is, that the enemy is scrambling trying to figure out what they're going to do. There are times in the Old Testament when the enemies of Israel would come up and you know what would happen? They would turn on each other. Man, I wish that would happen to the demons of hell. I wish they'd be working out a plan and they would go, attack, let's go. And all of a sudden, by the grace and the power of God, they end up fighting each other and dismantling one another and their system and their plans and their battle and everything just falls apart. Seems like so often it's not that way. Seems like they're pretty successful and it's the Christians who are scrambling. What I do with my helmet? What I do with my belt? I can't find my shoes. Where am I going? Did you ever get kind of sick of that when you were traveling with your kids? We'd say, okay, kids, we're going to stop at this next town. It's 20 minutes away. Start finding your shoes now. I won't embarrass Jenny, but she was always the one that when we're pulling in the parking lot, she couldn't find her shoes. Oh, are you kidding me? We've given you a warning for all of that. Does that ever happen on Sunday mornings? Remember those days? What happened? The shoes were here yesterday, and now one of them is gone. What happened? What, what's going on? And boy, the enemy just has a heyday sometimes with us trying to get to church. Think about all of that. What if all of those kind of things changed? And all of a sudden, it was the infidels who couldn't get their act together, and it was the people of God who could... What if all of a sudden we saw a nation where wise, godly people were sharp and on top of things, anticipating things, articulate with things, persuasive with things, and it was the liberals and the infidels that couldn't figure out what to say and look like, you know, deer in the headlights? What if when the church gathered... It wasn't a bunch of people coming in saying, oh, I've just been struggling all week. What if we came in and said, this is the greatest week of my life, praise God. I won victories. I saw the gospel go forth. Man, I've seen answered prayer. Come on, Brother Dale, let's do some singing. I can't hold it in. What if that happened? What if we came together? How's it going? You can't believe how God has blessed me this week. You got about five minutes? Let me tell you something. And what if we were actually interested in hearing it when people got blessed? Can you imagine how different everything would be? You see, David talks about this kind of stuff because he prayed. And he didn't just pray, oh, Lord, get me through another day. He was praying boldly about his enemies. He was praying about these kind of things, that this is what needs to happen. And we need to be prayer warriors in all of this. 
He said, innumerable evils have surrounded me. In other words, I'm living, like Isaiah said, in the midst of a corrupt and unclean generation, people of unclean lips. But he wasn't just saying, I'm so good and they're so bad. Then David goes along and he says this, my iniquities have overtaken me, so I am not able to look up. You see, if all of this is based upon our performance, I heard Ron Dunn preaching one time, and he said that I came to God, and I said, oh, Lord, I'm so unworthy to pray. And he said, and it was like the Holy Spirit said, when did you ever think you were worthy? But we do, don't we? I read my Bible every day. I didn't do any major sins. I feel really good about praying. But when I don't, I really feel bad. Oh, I have no right to come to you. Outside of Jesus, you don't have any right anyway. Lost people don't have a prayer. It's in Jesus that you have all of that. And David is praying about this stuff, saying that my iniquities outnumber the hair on my head. Hence my joke about not having much hair. I have less sin than you do, right? And yet David is saying, no, the point is I have more sin than I even am aware of. And yet he's praying constantly in communication with God. You think God doesn't know his sin? Yeah, and that's what matters. You think God doesn't know how to attack that sin and conquer that sin? Yeah, and that's what matters. You think the love and the grace of God is not working on your sin, that God is more interested in your sanctification than you are? Yes, he is. And he wants you to grow. He wants you to conquer. He wants you to die to self. And he's there to help you do it. He's not saying, hey, when you get it right, call me then. But until then, not interested. No, he's the wind at your back. He's the power in your life. And you're saved by grace and you are sanctified by grace. And God is your biggest ally and your biggest cheerleader in getting your life right. Let that sink in. If God be for us, who can be against us? And he is indeed for you. And the last thing, if you'll notice, that not only do effective Christians pray, but it also brings us to a conclusion here that the result is going to be joy. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Is that you? Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. Is that you? But I am poor and needy, blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. That means his thinking is good and it's favorable. And David said, I'm so hungry for you to do something that defies human explanation. Do not delay. God, I'm ready now. I'm surrendered now. I'm hungry now. I'm open now. And this is the way you become a high-impact Christian. This is the way you become effective. You can't forget where you came from. You've got to be secure in the love of God. You've got to walk in the grace of God. And you've got to be a prayer warrior. That's where you win the victory. And the result of that is going to be joy unspeakable and full of glory. You see, when we get to heaven, we're going to get the fruit of all of that for eternity. And you're not going to have any trouble working it up or anything like that. But folks, heaven can actually come into your soul now. Now. Don't forget where you came from. Be secure in the love of God. It never changes. Be established in grace. It's all about His grace and mercy toward us. And pray. And as you do, let the joy bells 
start ringing in your heart. And all God's people said, because that's what we want. That really is what we want. And this psalm tells us how to get there. Okay? So let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And let's have a word of prayer before we're dismissed. Father, as we think about these things tonight, we, we can't help but think about the sadness and the sorrows that some people are going through, the hurt and the pain. We think about lost people who are just deceived. They're proud and they're walking, following after lies. But we have no reason to get frustrated with them because that would be us if it weren't for your grace. Remind us of where we came from. And Father, would you let us see that it's not that we've earned some kind of rank or distinction before you. You love us at our best and at our worst. It never, ever changes. And thank you for your grace that opens up our ears so that we know some things that we wouldn't know on our own. Thank you for the grace that operates in our lives, that gives us victories we would not have otherwise. We have a relationship with you and your thoughts toward us. Another psalm says, outnumber the sands of the sea. David said here, they're innumerable. I can't even recount all of the things that God has done. Let us consider that and feel that and rest in that. All by your love, all by your grace. Let us be people that are prayers. We war in prayer. We battle in prayer. We praise in prayer. We rejoice in prayer. We anticipate great things in prayer. We anticipate the enemy being defeated like David did in prayer. And we anticipate the joy of the Lord and the blessing of God upon his people. And let the joy bells ring in our hearts. Let other people see our joy. And as David said in those first few verses, come to fear you and trust you and find salvation in you. Let us be a force to be reckoned with in evangelism because you're using us as tools to bring in your elect to the kingdom of God. And Father, not only here but all around the world, not only for us, but Lord, as we think about people tonight that are sick, got a lot of sick people, especially children right now. People with the flu, people with RSV, all of those kind of things. People recovering from surgeries. People that are facing surgeries. People that are having financial difficulties. People that are bogged down in sin and can't seem to get any traction because that miry clay is so slippery. Oh, deliver them out of the pit. And Lord, if you want us to hold the rope to help them up, we're willing and ready to do that. The Father, our church might be a lighthouse on the, uh, on the hillside, a beacon of safety and of truth and of light, all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let your church be a triumphant church because we are triumphant people magnifying the Lord. Do miracles, meet needs, do things that are amazing that your name might be praised. And we pray all of this for the defeat of the enemy in Jesus' name, for the glory of our King, and that we might be better servants of God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.